Work and Entertainment, a podcast dedicated to public domain and abandoned media. I'm your host, Christopher. Due to a lot of stuff going on in my life, I wasn't able to sit down with Lydia this past month, so it's just me with a cool little radio program to share. Before we start that, I want to first thank you for tuning in, and for anyone who hasn't already, let you know that you can listen and subscribe to the show by visiting Apple Podcasts, Stitcher Radio, Google Play, and Spotify. And I encourage you to please rate and review us at any of those outlets if you can. You can also search for us in the podcast app of your choice, and we'll be there for you. You're welcome to join our Facebook group. Just go to Facebook and search for Orphaned Entertainment. And if you'd like to email us with any comments, suggestions, or feedback on this or any episode, please type or record a message and send it to orphanedentertainment at gmail.com. We have a YouTube channel. Just go to YouTube and search for Orphan Entertainment. There you can watch many of the films we have covered here on the podcast, and you'll usually find a movie popping up a few weeks, if not a full month ahead of when we're going to be covering it, so you get a little bit of a heads up. All these links are on our webpage over at orphanedentertainment.com. Let's go ahead and listen to a five-minute mystery and a promo for another podcast. And when we return, I'll share another radio play, this time from a show called Exploring Tomorrow. Another five-minute mystery. Daddy, got to hold my arm still. Ah, bullseye, Sergeant. Yeah, it's a mighty fine revolver you have here, Captain. I picked it up for a song in a pawn shop yesterday. Here, load her up and let's see your aim. That's yeah, really a sweet job. It is a nice gun, Captain. Only trouble is, I'm lazy. I don't like a revolver. You have to go to all the trouble of picking the used shells out and reloading. Personally, give me an automatic. Just slip a clip in and... Captain Jenkins. Captain Jenkins, you're wanted upstairs immediately. Uh-oh. A report has just come in over the radio of a shooting on the west side. Uh, there goes our target practice. Uh, come along, Sergeant. We'll drive out and see what gives. You say your husband was sitting here by the open window when you heard the shot, Mrs. Williams. That's right. I was in the kitchen. I, I came running in just in time to see Ben slumping down in the chair and some man running down towards the river there. Uh, Sergeant, take a look outside the window for footprints. Right at it. Did you get a good look at the man, Mrs. Williams? No. No, I didn't, Captain. He he was too far away and running. Well, why should anyone want to kill your husband? Oh, he's quite wealthy, Captain, and, well, perhaps he's been a bit ruthless in his business dealings. He's made enemies, especially among the people in the tenements he owns. No luck, Captain. Not a sign of a footprint. Well, I didn't expect you'd find any. You see, Mr. Williams has powder burns on the right cheek where the bullet entered. Well, I'll be... It was a suicide, then. Mrs. Williams, there's no use in your lying. Where's the gun? Gun? Why, there's no... All right. It's in the closet at the basement stairs. But I only... I'll get it. I didn't mean to do anything wrong, Captain. It's only... I think I understand. I I didn't want any publicity to get out that Ben had committed suicide. It 
It wouldn't be good. Well, just what did happen now? When I heard the shot and came in from the kitchen, I saw what Ben had done. The gun was still in his right hand. I, I gently removed the gun and put it in the closet. Then I made up the story of seeing the man running. You didn't do anything else? Didn't touch the gun in any other way? Or didn't change anything about your husband? Oh, no. Here's the gun, Captain. Small caliber revolver. One cartridge missing from the chamber. Where's the missing cartridge, Mrs. Williams? I, uh... I threw it into the furnace. It, it was lying on the floor beneath Ben's hand. Oh, I've made such a blunder of things. I'll say you have, Mrs. Williams. You've blundered yourself right into a murder charge. In just a moment, we shall return for the solution to our mystery. In the meantime... Hello, this is Rod Barnett. I'm the host of The Bloody Pit, the podcast that examines films from across the decades. On The Bloody Pit, we have several ongoing series of shows within the show focused on specific things in genre cinema that I and my co-hosts find fascinating. There's a long-running series focused on Italian maestro Antonio Margheriti's films from the 1960s all the way up through 1990. There's an on-again, off-again series focused on 1970s science fiction film. There's an in-depth look at the Western movies that William Castle made before he struck out on his own and became the horror auteur that we know and love. A look at the classic Coffin Joe films from Brazil. And our long-term project to look at every universal horror film made in the 1940s. That's a long project. What's well, going to take us a long... Sprinkled in amongst those are various other episodes focused on other stranger areas of cinema. Like uh, Lucio Fulci, Dario Argento and even some obscure British crime films from time to time. So join me and my rotating crew of co-hosts as we examine the stranger side of cinema through an exploitation lens. Except when we don't? Yeah, you never really know exactly what to expect on The Bloody So join me for The Bloody Pit. Yes, Mrs. Williams, you blundered on every move, but especially when you stated you had picked the cartridges off the floor from under Ben's hand. You couldn't have picked the cartridges off the floor as a revolver doesn't eject its cartridges. If your husband had committed suicide, he couldn't have removed it. But you did, and threw it in the furnace as part of the plan. I wonder what story you'll cook up for the jury. just celebrated 50 years since the first Apollo moon landing, I uncovered a short story about a fictionalized version of the trip that was produced a decade before the actual event. First Men on the Moon, or The Moon is New, aired on Exploring Tomorrow, which was a radio program that ran from late 1957 to mid-1958 and was hosted by John Campbell Jr. John Campbell was the editor for Astounding Magazine, He'd actually been editor of the magazine since 1938. Astounding Magazine, originally titled Astounding Stories of Super Science, was first published in 1930, and while the name has changed several times over the decades, it is still produced today via online editions, and you can find it as Analog Science Fiction and Fact. 
The magazine published short science fiction stories, and up until the 1950s, when it got a lot of competition in the market, was the, was the leading publication of pulp sci-fi. Exploring Tomorrow, which was sort of their radio version branch, was advertised as the first science fiction show of science fictioners by science fictioners and for science fictioners. Real science fiction for a change. Well, radio had its fair share of science fiction show being produced at that time as well, and this program failed to get a foothold. The story, The First Men in the Moon, follows the first American who tries to travel and land on the moon. But in this scenario, things don't work out quite as well as it did for Neil Armstrong. The program you are about to hear is fiction, science fiction. We make no guarantees, however, how long it will remain fiction. Exploring tomorrow. guide to these adventures of the mind, the editor of Astounding Science Fiction Magazine, John Campbell, Jr. The scene is a missile testing base somewhere in the continental United States. The time, half past two on a Tuesday afternoon, five, maybe ten years from now. A rather unusual missile is getting worked over. Blast off is ten minutes away and the countdown is in its last stages. And a man is sitting inside this missile, waiting. The United States is about to make its first attempt to send a manned rocket to the moon. Nine minutes to blast off, Captain. Still feel loose and easy. Like a bird, Colonel. Waiting to be cut loose and sore. How do you feel? Hey, Captain. I'm just sitting here in the observation tower. You're the one in the launching pad. You're the man going to the moon. And you're the one who has to face all the reporters after blast off. Me, I'm glad I'll be up there alone. How much time left, Colonel? Six minutes, 20 seconds. Let's run through the schedule one last time. Okay. I sit in this cradle and I wait for the rockets to toss me up into space. I get 500 seconds of 4G acceleration. Then I sit around and look out the viewport for the next four days while the ship coasts in zero-G free fall. I'm roughly eight and a quarter minutes past four. On Sunday afternoon, the autopilot is going to turn the rocket engines on again. Long enough to land me in the Oceanus Procellarum, which better be as dry as the Palomar boy say it is. I climb into my little Jim Dandy spacesuit, wander around the moon for a while, take some snapshots, pick up a couple of rocks as souvenirs. And 15 hours after landing, I get back into my ship and I come home. Did I leave anything out? Not a thing, Captain. Three minutes, ten seconds. Well, all I do is sit here and wait anyway. Computer down below in the belly of the ship does all the work. Me, Mike Wellman, first man on the moon. Maybe, anyway. What do you mean, maybe? The ship's been tested thoroughly. There's no possibility of... A blow-up? No, go ahead. Don't be afraid to say it. I wasn't talking about that. The odds are pretty good that this bird is going to get me there. Only thing I'm wondering about is whether someone else is going to get there ahead of me. I'd hate to find a big vodka party going on when I get there. 90 seconds. They're clearing the launching pad, Captain. We better break contact now. Good luck. The next time I hear from you, it's going to be from space. Sure, Colonel. I'll report as soon as I'm in free fall. Then radio messages every four hours. Uh, you won't forget about those baseball scores, will you? Of course. 30 seconds, Captain. And all America is rooting for you. 
Well, I'm rooting for the Dodgers. So long, Colonel. See you next week when I get back. Ten, nine, eight, seven, six, five, four, three, two, one, mark. Base. How do I come in? We're in shop, Captain. Oh, glad to hear it. Okay, uh, ship's time, 1,452 hours. Blast off went fine from this end. I got through acceleration good enough. Four Gs isn't much fun, but I don't mind it in eight-minute stretches. The ship's in free fall now, no gravity at all. And it's weird, all right. Even after all those hours in the training chamber, I still feel a little strange. Very quiet up here. Nice. Man really can think here. And the view is really something. Where do you see the photos? How about the psychological reaction? You don't feel cut off? Me? A guy whose idea of heaven is being along with some books? Colonel, I like it up here. The psych test said I was an introvert, didn't they? Well, not really. Just sort of solitary-minded. Uh, same thing. Well, it's us um, solitary-minded people who are going to be your spacemen, Colonel. We don't mind the loneliness. Listen, Colonel... How are the cosmic ray readings coming through? Perfect. All the equipment seems to be functioning. Uh, including the pilot. Or rather, the live cargo, because that's all I really am. Okay, Colonel, I got a few odd jobs to do on board. And I'll be talking to you again in four hours. Over. <laughs> Here I am again, Colonel. Two days out, still no sweat. I'm getting used to this no-gravity business, and I... Go uh... on with the rest of the report, Captain. There's been a change in the operational plans. Huh? What kind of change? You want landing on the moon. Pentagon orders are for you to adjust the computer to alternate course B. Circle the moon and return to Earth without landing. Hey, wait a minute, sir. How come the switch? Well, it's, it's an awkward situation, Captain. You see, between the time I last spoke to you and now, the Russians... I know this will come as kind of a shock to you. The Russians made a successful landing on the moon. No! Radio Moscow announced it two hours ago. And since then, we've picked up broadcasts from the Russian ship. They've landed, all right. They beat us to it. By two stinking days, two days earlier, and I would have been the first. You haven't heard the worst part of it yet. The Russians have claimed the moon. They what? Like Columbus claiming the Western Hemisphere. We're putting up a yell, of course, but there just isn't any precedent for this kind of thing. The U.N. is meeting to decide whether they have any right to. So this is why I can't land, huh? The Russians say they'll regard any lunar landing as trespassing on their property. We can't risk an incident, of course. So for the time being, we're going to hold back and wait till the legal aspect of this business is worked out. So I can't land. They send me up here and I ride around for a week and don't even put my foot down on the moon. Uh-uh, Colonel. Russia doesn't own the moon, no matter what they say. Captain Woman. I'm sorry, Colonel. I'm more than halfway there, and I'm darned if I'm going to miss my chance. I'm going to land, sir. Wilman, listen to me. You can't disobey orders. Yes, I can, sir. I'm landing. Over and out. (laughs) 
the moon wasn't meant for man. It's just that man was never designed for the moon. It's a fantastically inhospitable place. Harsh, blinding sunlight with no atmosphere to dim it. Jagged shadows. The rocks are hard, sharp-edged. There has been no weathering to soften them, and the shadows are just as hard and black. It's not a nice place to be alone. Or even when there's only one other human being within 200,000 miles. I don't know if you want to hear from me again, Colonel, but I'm beaming this anyway. Look, I just wanted to let you know that I've landed on the moon as originally scheduled. Yeah, right on the nose, in the designated landing area. Northern branch of the Oceanus Procellarum. And you can tell the Palomar fellas that they were right all along. Maybe this was an ocean once, but not in the last million years or so. As for the uh, Russian ship, it isn't any hoax. I saw it when I came down. It's about uh, 50 miles north of here. Maybe later I'll break out the rocket sled and wander over there for some vodka. Uh, the Russians are trying to contact me now. I better shift channel and see what they want. Over, Colonel. <laughs> Come on in, Ivan. Da, Nick, Tavarich, Nishivo. I'm afraid that uses up my Russian vocabulary, Ivan. How's your English? I am Captain Dmitry Novikov, Solid Space Forces. You are illegally trespassing on our property, American. I am, huh? Say, your English is pretty good, but your politics isn't. You say the moon is yours, huh? Lunar Soviet Socialist Republic? I'm sorry to disagree. Just getting here first doesn't give you the right to claim the whole place, you know. The matter has been considered by our legal experts. We have established prior claim. I am under orders to request you to leave Russian territory immediately. But this is cockeyed, claiming the whole moon. Now, look here, Dmitry. Let you me... will address me as Captain Novikov. Okay. Now, look here, Novikov. The moon's a big place. And there's room for a lot of us up here. It really isn't fair to want to hog the whole thing yourself. The Presidium said Soviet policy, not space pilots. I'm instructed to warn you that you are trespassing. I do not wish to debate the matter, will you? So I'm trespassing, then. What are you going to do about it? My ship is armed. And you can't figure out any better way of celebrating the conquest of space and starting a war about it? The United States ordered you not to make a landing. They recognize our claim. We cannot tolerate violation of our rights. And you're going to be nasty about it, I see, huh? Well, I'll take my chances. Now I've got some work to do before I go back. I'll be leaving the moon in 14 hours and a bit. Hey, uh, now how long are you staying up here? You've been here better than two days already. You planning to hold the fort forever? My plans for departure should not concern you. Well, I'm just curious, that's all. Okay, Dimitri. Maybe I'll be talking to you again soon. And yeah, you, uh... Sneaky son of a gun. Congratulations. You did get here first. Over. Come in, launching base. You hear me? We're getting you, woman. We read you. Look, I, I just had a little chat with the Ruski. There seems to be only one of them. He gave me some malarkey about firing on me if I don't clear off the moon right away. Woman, you insubordinate idiot. You're liable to touch off a war over this moon trip. Well, what was I supposed to do? Smile politely and turn back just because they got here first? You think they have any right to claim the moon? Of course not. But that's not the point. You were ordered not to risk trouble by landing. Yeah, and I landed anyway. Well, go ahead. Chop my head off when I get back to Earth. 
Meanwhile, I'm here, and if that Russian doesn't blow me up, I expect to do a little exploring in the next 14 hours. I don't think a Russian's going to blow you up. He's got his own troubles. What do you mean? Well, we've decoded some of the messages he's been sending back to Moscow. Seems he made a faulty landing and has to make some repairs on his ship. It may take him a week or two, and he doesn't have enough food. Russia may be crowing about claiming the moon, but it's going to look bad for them if their spaceman can't get back and starve to death. Yeah. Yeah, that would be rough. Uh, maybe I'd better call him back and see if I can help him out. Well, then leave him alone. He's a Russian. He's a human being. And so am I. Get off the wire and let me call him, Colonel. I order you not to make any overtures to that Russian. Look, I'm not on Earth now. There doesn't need to be a Cold War up here, too, Colonel. And I have plenty of food to spare. Give the folks back home my love. I'm going to call Ivan again. <laughs> One thing to make a claim to say, uh, uh, this is mine. It's something else to hold on to it and make the claim stick. Somewhat like the colonel. Uh, it was a little difficult for him to enforce the orders he was trying to give to the man on the moon. Novikov, you getting me? You have three hours to leave Russian territory. Then I must command action. Now look, don't give me that stuff. I know your ship's disabled and you're in trouble. This is untrue. My ship is in good condition. Dan Trotsky was Rasputin's brother. You don't know because I sometimes feel I'm the only sane man in a world of lunatics. Those idiots down there in Washington didn't want me to land because it might make Moscow sore. And you don't want any help from me because I'm not a good Marxist. It's a losing battle, Dimitri. Everyone seems to know what he really wants, and yet everybody tries hard to get the opposite. I don't know what you're talking about. Okay. You just sit tight. I'm going to launch the rocket sled and get over your way with a couple of cartons of provisions. If you won't take food from a lackey of Wall Street, that's your business. I'm coming over anyway. My name's Mike Wellman. Why have you done this? What trick are you playing? Listen, friend, all I'm doing is bringing some of my spare food. Nothing up my sleeve at all. I do not understand that. Up my sleeve? It's a decadent capitalist idiom. It means I'm not trying to fool you. The supplies are out on the rocket sled. Get into your suit and let's drag them in. I said I would fire on you. And you bring me food? Yeah, silly, isn't it? But they told me they picked up your messages to Moscow. That you were going to be stuck here a few weeks for repairs. I was not telling the truth. Hmm? The ship will never take off again. The rear rocket tubes are hopelessly crumpled. The fuel field lines are severed. It was a very poor landing. I gave incorrect data to the computers. And you told them you could fix it? They do not like to receive news of failure. Leave me alone, American. Take your food and go away. Hey, what are you going to eat? Rocks? There won't be a rescue ship up here for a month, at least. There will be no rescue ship for me. I do not deserve rescue. You'll just sit up here and starve to death? I made the faulty landing. I cannot return to my country now. And I disobeyed orders. I wasn't supposed to land because the moon is red property now. 
But the only Russian here is stranded, helpless. Do not mock me. I'm not. That's a fine bunch of spacemen you and me are. You smash up your ship and I disobey half my orders. But I'm glad I disobeyed anyway. At least there'll be one practical result of my trip. I'll be saving a man's life. You? Sure. You're coming back with me to Earth. We can jettison some of the meters and stuff and make room for you. I bet you don't weigh more than 150. We can manage. Sure. But save the butts for later. And if you try to argue me out of it, I'll slug you. Hello, Colonel. I'm on my way home. Pretty fair blast off, and we're 20,000 miles out in the moon now. Oh, I left a little of the equipment behind. The next ship can pick it up. And I've got a passenger. You mean that Russian? Yeah. Seems the ship was wrecked, so I talked him into coming back with me. He's down back in the galley fixing lunch now. I guess we'll both be called traitors for saying it, but uh, we've sort of become friends. And he doesn't think Russia ought to claim the moon either. Well, we have one distinction anyway. Maybe a Russian ship was the first to get to the moon... But it was the American one that made the first successful round trip. I like to think of it in a different way. Not an American ship or a Russian ship. Stuff like that shouldn't matter anymore. Call it a ship from Earth. Yeah. Novikov and I started out separately, but we're coming back together. The first expedition from Earth to Moon is coming off. <laughs> the very 50s idea of large spacecrafts with plenty of room for extra food, galleys to prepare it in, and still room for an extra passenger. It's a far cry from the tight quarters and practically standing room only of the Apollo moon lander that would actually make the journey. The story does have that 1950s Americans are great at everything theme, and it has the slightly overdramatic view of the cosmonaut who thinks admitting failure and botching the mission makes him un- unworthy to survive and even gives you the impression that if he did return, he might be punished for his failure. You also can't ignore that it is the American that is the altruistic one and who freely offers to assist the cosmonaut. But, in fairness, he is in the better position in this story. I'd have liked it if there was maybe an issue with both men's ships and it was only them working together that would 
allow them to return to Earth? Maybe not including anything along those lines allowed them to keep the story short enough, because it is obvious by the final report of the astronaut and the closing narration that the author believes space and the moon should be shared by all for the betterment of mankind. I think that message was and is an important one. I hope that when, if, and when we finally continue our trips into the solar system, we take that message to heart and leave the bickering behind. Well, that's all I have for you this month. Lydia and I will be back next month for a very grounded and earthbound western, Angel and the Badman from 1947. So I hope you've enjoyed this short episode, and I hope you tune in next time. Altitude, velocity, light. In and down, 220 feet. 15 forward. 11 forward, coming down nicely, 200 feet. Four and a half down, five and a half down. Within 60 feet, six and a half down, five and a half down. Nine forward. Good. Within 20 feet.